Hey guys, thanks for checking in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. Uh, not in my truck or in my house. I'm on vacation, but there's a lot of important stuff going on. So uh, I wanted to bring this guy on to talk about it. You guys probably saw this guy on Laura Ingram's show on Fox. I know I got on Kennedy, but this guy is really hitting, he's hitting the big time. Like, so uh, I'm appreciative of him coming on, but he's a He's a professional trucker, more professional than me. He's been all over the place. He's uh, he's moved trucks in uh, Australia, the United States, Canada, and he's been all over the world. A uh, very interesting person. I've actually wanted to talk to him for a while. We we're supposed to do a stream on uh, Tommy Salmon's show like six months ago or something. It just the timing didn't work out. But anyway, Gord, thank you for joining the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm very well, sir, and thank you for having me. I've uh, watched the naturalist capitalist from afar, and I'm very jealous of all your uh, heavy haul moves down in the great southwest of the United States. <laughs> uh, my favorite states are Nevada, Utah, Wyoming, Oregon, all out that way. And uh, you roam the lands and discuss philosophy, and good for you. I'm very jealous. Yeah, man, it's a good deal. I, I do love it. Um so before we get into what's going on in Canada, I do want people to just know a little bit more about you. So you're from Canada originally. Um, so trucking, is that what took you all around the world? Like, what, Yeah, what? I've, I've been a trucker my entire life. My dad was a trucker. My grandpa was a trucker. Uh, my grandpa drove a Sherman across Europe for the Canadian Army, um, literally blowing up fascists. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I got I, I was driving around Hamilton, uh, Ontario at night when I was in the 11th grade with no license, hauling steel coils, um, sort of worked up from the bottom, helped the mechanics, uh, grease trailers, fixed trailers, fixed trucks, did sandblasting, uh, got my CDL as soon as I turned 18 and I've more or less been on the road ever since. Um, did some time in New Zealand hauling logs, I uh, went to Australia a few years ago, drove triple road trains up and down the West Coast between Perth and a place called Caratha. Um, uh, did four seasons up on the ice in the Northwest Territories in Canada. Um, I've done a few things. I've got around the place a little bit. Uh, trucking's been very good to me and it's near and dear to my heart. And uh, this uh, Freedom Convoy thing in Canada has kind of taken the world by storm. Uh, those are my people. And I think I've made a little bit of a name for myself trying to defend them against the onslaught of media smears and nonsense. Yeah, um, I'll have to get you back on another time to just talk about all your adventures. But um, because of what's going on in Canada right now, I think we should try to talk about that more. So um, have you been in Ottawa or where have you been mostly throughout this whole thing? Did you go from the States up? To Canada when this first started happening? How did you get involved? How did you end up there? And then what were you doing so, while you were there? Um, in case people don't know, this uh, Freedom Convoy sort of concept started probably four or five weeks ago. The brainchild of a few people in Alberta. It started out really small and then kind of became a social media firestorm. Um, all these people that started organizing started getting donations really rapidly. Um, we would see videos of rallies in Alberta and BC and truckers and farmers and everyone getting organized and starting to cross the country. And then um, people coming from other parts of Canada throughout Ontario, Quebec, Maritimes. And it, it sort of became this like literal grassroots, spontaneously organized movement. 
And uh, I heard about it. And I thought to myself, I have to go to Ottawa. Like, these are my people. I mean, I live in the United States now. My wife is American. But uh, I'm not too far from Canada. It's about a five-hour drive from where I live in upstate New York to Ottawa. And uh, I have friends in Ottawa. Uh, one of my uh, associate truckers who lives in Alberta uh, took part in the convoy. And his rig is parked on Wellington Street, not 300 yards from Parliament Hill right now. He's still there two weeks into it. So two weeks ago... Went to Ottawa, met up with my friends. We welcomed the convoy in. Uh, we went on an overpass about 50 kilometers west of Ottawa, about 30 miles. And, you know, waved flags and hooted and hollered and welcomed the, the main convoy from Western Canada in. And then we went down to Parliament Hill later in the day, spent the rest of the evening down there. And, um, and I spent some time again there on Sunday and then came home. And I've sort of been like, trying to defend these guys as best I can with my Twitter account, which just got nuked yesterday, but we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I think I was sort of in this position um, prior to all of this and prior to COVID and whatnot. Like I, I've written in a few places about issues related to trucking. I've been on this, there's this podcast called what's left. And I did a real deep dive into uh, how large carriers mega carriers in the u.s and canada make use of like corporate welfare to keep the sort of driver turnover thing happening and it suppresses everyone else's wages it's sort of like a government intervention into the market which distorts it and, I, and I, i've spoken on that at length which i think made me some enemies and might have resulted in my first twitter account getting nuked but um you know so i've sort of been involved in this for a long time and i thought like you know here's this spontaneous grassroots movement looking to challenge Trudeau and his uh, and the COVID regime, uh, some of his policies and these mandates. Uh, the least I can do is come back to Ottawa and show these guys some love. And um, then, I don't know, I started writing and talking about it on Twitter, and it's sort of snowballed from there itself. Yeah, so uh, how many people do you think have been involved with the protest? I've heard all sorts of estimates, but do you have any idea, any educated guess on the numbers yeah i i sort of do so the problem is is there, there there's been a number of numbers that have either been lowballed or exaggerated right and um a lot of people are confusing the number of supporters in totality that have been estimated across the country people who've come out to the roadside in saskatchewan manitoba wherever you know, somebody falsely attributed some really high numbers to the OPP um, the first weekend we were there. And then there's other people saying, well, there was only 8,000 people there. So, like, it's it's so hard to get actual numbers because, like, you know, they're dispersed around a couple of square kilometers of downtown Ottawa. Um, and, and it's hard to get a number on truckers versus protesters because all kinds of people have glommed onto this. See, it's not just about the truckers. Right. And it's it's become this like touchstone in like the Canadian psyche because we've been tolerating or suffering this COVID regime nonsense for the last two years. So a lot of people that are in Ottawa are not actually truckers and are not actually part of the convoy. They're just there to express support and to like protest it in tandem with us. So g getting hard numbers is, is difficult. Um, and also the protest in Ottawa has been going on for three weekends in a row now. So it's like, you know, two weeks, but three weekends. And each weekend, more and more people come. There's more and more stuff happening. 
and I really couldn't peg a number on it. But like when I was there on Saturday two weeks ago, it was definitely in the tens of thousands, if not at least 100K people in Ottawa, which is a big deal because the city of Ottawa and the surrounding area in total is only 1 million people. And that's the surrounding area. That's like Ottawa, Kanata, Aylmer, Hall, like the whole shooting match there you know like ottawa's really in the grand scheme of things is not that big of a city yeah so i've heard horror stories throughout the last two years of canadians doing like protests that there aren't enough mandates and there's this super um there's just a super cucked percentage of canadians who love this stuff um do you think that that's a minority at this point or do you think that that's like half and half or what what percentage do you think of the people are actually fed up versus haven't had enough yet (laughs) again hard to say um but you know it depends on what media you listen to the canadian media is very biased which is um why i've been doing so much writing on the subject and it's of of interest to your audience who are you know mostly bent libertarian um the canadian federal government gives out 600 million dollars a year to all kinds of media right so like it's very difficult to give honest reporting and honest journalism to a media ecosystem, which is literally financed by the feds. Right. So like, it's not just the CBC, like in in the U S you guys would have NPR and everybody else. Well, in Canada, everybody else is also getting taxpayer money, you know, mostly everybody else. There's a few outliers like rebel news. And, you know, there's this sort of a center right newspaper called the national post. I don't know how much of this money they get. Like I know rebel news gets zero. They wouldn't take it anyway. Um, so, you know, the, the people who would, you would describe as cucked, well, you know, I would say there's a certain percentage of the Canadian population who've been brain damaged by decades of CBC naval lint analysis, um, semi-retarded programming. Um, I mean, that's, that's a whole another discussion. I'm very, very, I I really don't like the CBC. They've, uh, engaged in a sort of, um, They've really made the Canadian population like self-centered and always thinking about us and comparing American or comparing Canadians to Americans. It's like you guys haven't figured out your own stuff, your own identity. Like you just always it's always like very deeply anti-American and like everything is Canada, Canada, Canada. Like who's this Canadian person who made good overseas? Like there's no it, 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 they're not grownups, you know. Yeah. So any 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 anytime you hear news or polling or anything coming from Canada, you have to sort of understand like the Canadian media landscape does not function like the American media landscape, which is also has its own problems. But like it's it, it's hard to nail it's hard to nail reality down in something that's like so distorted by the state. Yeah. So the amazing thing to me about this whole protest is how perfectly it's been done. I mean, talk about an opportunity for violence or for outrage or for property destruction that the federal government could weaponize against the cause. There's been none of it. And I've heard reports of it, you know, like I I was reading articles about, you know, people shitting in graveyards and beating up homeless people or whatever. There's no proof of it anywhere. That no, I've seen. there, there isn't. None. There, no, yeah. there isn't. And, th- and this is the, one of the reasons. So I guess whatever helped me get on Fox here recently was this article I wrote. Um, I wrote this 
sort of response to the immediate smears of the Canadian media against the convoy, and it got published in Newsweek, which is, like, I guess, is kind of a big deal. Um, and and I and I tried to like sort of take it apart. Like the 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 Canadian media for two weeks now, they just keep saying that we're like some right wing fringe minority. Trudeau has said this himself. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP, which is sort of like Canada's socialist party, he keeps saying, oh, we're all full of racists. But like they're basing all of this on one guy with a swastika flag who was glowing so hard you could see him from fucking Pluto. There's a video of this guy being accosted by the other protesters. He's got a balaclava on, won't talk, won't identify himself. He's not traveling with anyone else. It's one dude and he's got police issue boots on. Like it's, it's just screams fed, right? Like the right. guy's a plant. And then they made a big deal about somebody else in the crowd with a Confederate flag, one guy with a Confederate flag, but nobody in the media, you know, and, and, the, and the funny ironic thing about this is the Canadian media is always Canada, 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 but they won't tell you something that's uh, very deeply ingrained in Quebecois culture. Like there's a, there's a massive, Quebec nationalist movement, right? Separatist nationalists, whatever you want to call them. They've never felt like they're part of Canada. And that's why in the past you've seen attempts, referendums for Quebec to separate from the rest of the country. So one of the symbols the Quebec nationalist movement has appropriated for themselves is the Confederate flag because of the, you know, overlap with the idea sure. of secession. Secession, yeah. So like some Yahoo Quebec hillbilly waving a Confederate flag they're trying to say, oh, you're a bunch of right-wing racist extremists, but it's just like a Quebec hillbilly that would use that flag anyway. And never mind that, two people out of quite possibly 100,000 people in the crowd, and they won't leave it alone, right? Like, they just, this is how the media functions. They, they find this minority, and, and, and people on the left should understand this because leftist movements and leftist protests have always been infiltrated by agent provocateurs. Oh, yeah. You know, feds, glowies, whatever you want to call them. But now that it's happening to something they don't like, they won't extend that possible consideration to us. And it's like there's videos everywhere online of everybody under the sun. Canada is a very high immigration country. There's lots of people from India and China and all over Africa and all these different people. And they're all represented at the protest. They're all there. The Canadian trucking industry is super diverse, you know, to use their terms. And, but they just keep lying. They keep fucking lying and I won't stand for it. I will not stand for the Canadian media slagging my people like this, you know? Yeah, no, I don't, I'm blaming that. I mean, they've done that. I mean, that's not an exclusively Canadian problem, obviously. That's something that all media sources do to anyone they disagree with. Um, but you, you were just touching on how, you know, the left has had similar infiltration to what we've seen with like January 6th and different right wing protests recently. And it's actually kind of red pilled a lot of right wingers on uh, intelligence agencies because they used to be kind of fans of them, but now they realize, holy shit, these guys don't care about me. They're trying to hijack my protest too. Um, and it, it is ironic to see so many who would consider themselves on the left to kind of scoff at this whole thing and not support it. And what I've kind of thought is, you know, the left doesn't really stand for workers' rights. They stand for 
you know, organizations that can basically control workers. And I, I don't know what your position is on unions or whatever, but uh, I've never been in a trucker union or any union that I've worked yeah, with. Yeah, because... it you, 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 it's, good, it's good that you brought that up because the, the Newsweek people want me to write another article. Um, so there's a guy who uh, I know he's this Swedish populist commentator named Malcolm Kayuna on Twitter. He's called Tinksorg, and he wrote a really interesting article in this UK-based magazine called Unheard, where he sort of broke down how the sort of traditional labor left of like basically abandoned uh, this truckers movement and run screaming from it, and how that's indicative of how the labor left in general, you know, looking at Brexit, looking at Trump, looking at like, you know, all this sort of like populist stuff of just basically run screaming from the traditional working class and don't really represent them anymore. And, um, you know, you, you've seen uh, in Canada, the Canadian Teamsters basically said, we don't support this freedom convoy thing, right? right. And then the media have also glommed on to there's this organization in Canada called the Canadian Trucking Alliance and the media keeps calling them a union, but they're not. They're a lobbying group. The Canadian Trucking Alliance represents large freight carriers, much like in the United States, the American Trucking Association does. Right. And the media, some, some, some quarters of the commentariat have tried to dismiss the freedom convoy as like an astroturfed right wing campaign for billionaires to pay for all these anti-vaxxers. But it's actually the opposite. The billionaire, big corporate trucking company owners, who are all part of the Canadian Trucking Alliance, have very publicly denounced the Freedom Convoy and are donors to the federal Liberal Party. So, like, it's actually opposite of what we're being told. But, like, you'll never hear that in the media. They claim the Canadian Trucking Alliance is a fucking union, and they're not. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean... It it, it seems liberals don't want you to make your own decisions. They want to have institutions that make decisions for you. And when you make decisions that they don't agree with, suddenly they don't support your rights. So it's not about rights. It's about political alignment and, you know, um, social achievements that the Democrats or the liberals want. I mean, it's the same in the United States. That's why, I mean, there's so much disdain for what's going on north of the border from Democrats. Um, and a lot of Democrats who supported everything about the Black Lives Matter movement a couple of years ago. And I'll be honest, like there was some of that that I supported. Like I I think police brutality is horrible and I wanna get rid of all sorts of uh, protections they have like qualified immunity and I don't want them to be able to do no knock raids. And you know, I don't think they should be able to do civil asset forfeiture and no knock, no knock raids and civil asset forfeiture is like NVKD Soviet bullshit. You know, that's sure. like that's like Stasi East East Germany, Russian stuff and is totally un-American. And I agree with you 100 percent that that should be dealt with. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, that just turned into something else like it, uh, the distraction of uh, private property destruction. And, you know, the problem is Americans are just too racist or whatever. It, it got completely sidelined from being a police brutality movement. But in Canada, like you said, it's been very well behaved. And then it, it's also been incredibly straightforward about what the goals are. I mean, the Black Lives Matter protests, my biggest issue, I actually went to one and I was talking with like 100 people there. And I was like, what do you want? Like, what's your goal here? 
and they said, we want justice. I said, okay, so do you know what qualified immunity is? Do you know what civil asset forfeiture is? You know, name down. And barely anyone did. But with uh, the Canadian truckers, they're like, get rid of Trudeau or get rid of these mandates and we'll go home. It's very straightforward. It's very obvious what they yeah, want. They're so, not it at all. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, and I mean, the, the Freedom Convoy has some organization like the people that came from Alberta that sort of started it and who are now in Ottawa, you know, there's, they have a bunch of lawyers, they have some scientists, they have accountants, like there's some structure and some leadership there, but the rest of it, like the stuff happening at the bridges being closed, the guys out in Alberta, all these other protests happening at the provincial capitals, that's all just been spontaneously sort of organized in tandem freedom convoy. But the very interesting thing, as you point out, is the unity of the message. All at the end of the day, if you talk to any person who supports the Freedom Convoy and says, "When are you guys going to stop?" We go home when Trudeau ends the mandates. I don't think we even really care if Trudeau stays in power. I mean, most of us hate him. That goes without saying. But like the ultimate end goal is end the mandates across the board, all mandates, federal, provincial, no more vaccine mandates, none of this QR code, none of this medical apartheid, bifurcated society nonsense, right? Just end right. the mandates and it's over. There's nothing further. There's no taking this movement and making it into some other kind of power thing. And like one of the nice things about your project with the naturalist capitalist and your association with like, you know, Dave Smith and all the people you talk to is this sort of idea of like unifying libertarian party in the U S I can't speak to that too much. Like I'm not involved. I just sort of watch from afar, but sure. like what you're doing th- that resonates with the people at the freedom convoy this whole idea of Canadian unity insofar as we are unified in opposition to the COVID regime and we are unified in wanting Canada to return to what it was before where you didn't need a QR code to go to the grocery store. You didn't need uh, a vaccine to keep your job. Like if you're a healthcare worker or you're crossing the border, especially in the wake of of all the evidence that's come out in the last few months that the vaccines don't prevent transmission, which is right. totally accepted now. Vaccines did nothing about Omicron. Um, the, 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 just all, all of this information has come out. And the problem with Trudeau and this, this one particular mandate that really got under everybody's skin was that all these truckers have been working through the last two years of COVID, right? The most essential of essential workers. Everybody was kissing our ass. Thank you, truckers. Thank you, healthcare workers. Thank you, everybody. While the rest of the email job people are hiding at home, getting everything delivered to them, we're actually out there doing the work. And then January 2022, all of a sudden, no, you must be vaccinated now. Even though, according to Trudeau's numbers, 90% of truckers are vaccinated, right? So we've achieved herd immunity, if you believe in such things. Also, like... There's been zero studies done saying truck drivers spread it any more or any less than any any other type of traveler versus people taking airplanes and like flights are still coming and going. So yeah. like, you know, the, the, a lot of people viewed this particular mandate against truckers, which started in January of 2022 after all this information has come out. There's no point to it. There's no logic to it. All it is is punishment for people who didn't comply. And now Trudeau's digging his heels in In the last two weeks, you know, you've seen the protest expand to people blocking off bridges so that like guys can't get back and forth into Michigan or New York and the trades like really slowed down. And that's why Doug Ford came out and issued this emergency order. And like 
it, this entire time, Trudeau or his people still have not talked to the organizers of the convoy, right? Doug Ford's people haven't talked to the organizers of the convoy. None of the premiers, nothing. They're just, they, they want us to like, they just want to ignore us and pretend we're going to go away. And they're ignoring the leverage we have, right? Like we've literally yeah. halted billions of dollars of trade across the border in the last week, and, but they just will not relent. It's like they, they almost are incapable of actually engaging in this democracy that they rhetorically hump all the time, right? Right. So, yeah. So I don't have a passport, so I can't go to Canada uh, anyway. I did. I think it expired in 2020. But this mandate that was passed in January, um, both the United States and Canada passed something at the same time. Or uh, do you know if it was the same day? Or if it was just no, there were sep- it was separated out by a week. So it was a week. The, okay. the the mandate came into effect for Canadian truckers on January fifteenth, and then a week later, it came into effect to come into the United States. Interestingly right. enough, I've traveled back home to Canada twice now in my own personal vehicle, mind you. So like I wouldn't be considered a trucker if it's my own vehicle. Right. But both times I came back to the United States, customs never asked me a single question about. COVID, vaccine status, nothing. I just showed them my permanent residency card. They asked me where I'd been, what my citizenship was, did I have anything to declare, and let me go. All so tru- if you are if you have dual citizenship, just, just for those who aren't aware, um, I know at least, I don't know as much about the Canadian one, but the U.S. restriction was if you are a non-U.S. citizen, entering the United States, you need to be vaccinated if you're a trade worker. So if you're a truck driver or on a ship working at a port or whatever. Correct. So, and then in Canada, was it just for U.S. truckers or were they saying it for U.S. and Canadian truckers? It was truckers U.S. and Canadians. So that's the rub. So what they right. were doing, so by law, they have to let Canadians back in regardless. Like if you're an American citizen and you go traveling somewhere, you come back to the United States, that's your right as a citizen to re-enter the U.S., regardless of anything else they have to let you back in right same in canada so what they're doing what trudeau's mandate involved was if you're a canadian citizen they can't control you leaving like there's no stopping at the border on the canadian side you just drive over the bridge or the border crossing to the u.s side and then u.s customs deals with you there's no exit control so if you come back to canada and you don't have vaccine paperwork they were basically making you go in quarantine for 14 days before you could take another load back, which is ridiculous. So, like, let's say you live in Ontario and you haul down into Michigan, you haul steel or auto parts or whatever. That's like a day trip. Some some guys go back and forth to Michigan five times a week. Some people that, like, live close to the border, like if you, let's say you haul for Chrysler or Ford or somebody, and you go from a plant in Windsor, which is right next to Detroit, to somewhere in Michigan, you might cross the border two or three times a day, Right. right? So if you go over once and you're not vaccinated, as soon as you come back, the government's like, nope, you got to go quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. Which is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, you know? It just doesn't make any sense. And if yeah. you don't if you don't comply, it's a $6,000 fine. And then uh, the other thing is, I was trying to explain to people, uh, U.S. truckers, like most of our most of our driving is interstate in the country, but a lot of Canadian drivers cross into the u.s border like uh at least per capita i'm assuming it's much higher that Correct. canadians so go the, into the yeah, states so in, in in the canadian trucking industry most of the traffic is going south because the united states is our largest trading partner correct um 
you know, it's the largest trading relationship in the entire world. And so uh, the, a very, very high percentage of Canadian truckers sooner or later are going to the U.S. if they do not go to the U.S. exclusively already. And there was a lot of ignorant people who don't know anything about trucking saying, well, if you don't get your vaccine, you can just work in Canada and stay in Canada. The problem is the domestic freight market in Canada is not large enough to absorb all of the drivers affected by the mandate. There's not enough jobs for them just running around inside Canada. Whereas in the U.S., the U.S. market is so huge and the majority of freight going back and forth to Canada is on Canadian trucks. Right. That the U.S. drivers who choose not to get a vaccine or don't want to deal with going to Canada can just say, well, the hell with it. I got tons of work down here. So right. like it affected U.S. drivers much less than it affected Canadian drivers, which is why it's been such a big deal up north. Yeah. Uh, so... It- I've heard they're rolling or they're thinking about rolling restrictions back in Alberta. Um, is that true? Has there been any progress on that front? Yeah. So since the Freedom Convoy arrived in Ottawa, we have had a lot of successes. Of course, the media doesn't want to attribute it to us. They're saying, well, the science is changing and you know our teams of doctors are telling us that we can start rolling stuff back as if... <laughs> Just coincidentally, right? It just, just suddenly co- happened. Just coincidentally, yeah. as if all this polit- public and political pressure just doesn't exist. Yeah, what, right. well, yeah how very convenient. So <laughs> the premier of Saskatchewan was the first one out the gate, and he said at the end of February, all the mandates are done. No more masks, no more vaccine requirements, no more passports. Like, COVID's over in Saskatchewan. There was a lot of pressure on the premier of Alberta to do the same, and he very quickly... Um, basically tried to match Saskatchewan and then he kind of started backpedaling it. So like as this protest is happening in Ottawa, there's another one at the Coots border crossing. So it's Sweetgrass, Montana and Coots, Alberta, where interstate 15 goes up and then you can carry on North and go to Calgary at that border crossing. There's been like hundreds and hundreds of vehicles and trucks sitting there. They're letting some stuff go through. They're not stopping everything, but like they're slowing it down and they're having a major protest. And when Kenny, the premier of Alberta is this guy named Jason Kenny, who used to be a federal level politician and then kind of became the premier of Alberta. So he announced that they were going to lift stuff, but he qualified it and said, I reserve the right to um, bring these mandates back in whenever I want at my discretion. And so everybody that was in coots holding the border up said, well, we're not leaving. That's not what we came for. You don't get to reserve that right. We're done with COVID, motherfucker. So they didn't leave. So they're still there because Kenny, like, inserted all these qualifications into his opening back up. So, like, Saskatchewan's going to be done with it. Alberta could be done with it, but could go back at any time they want because Jason Kenny's a little bit of a snake. And there was an article that came out two weeks ago as well, maybe not two weeks ago, maybe last week, where a bunch of the provincial level health ministers are all having discussions about how do we roll these mandates back, right? Which is kind of ridiculous. You just go and you say, it's over. Okay, we're done. Like, just put everything in a paper shredder. Tell all these bureaucrats that are in charge of enforcing this stuff to go home. Your contracts are over. Find something else to do. But no, because the bureaucratic professional managerial class are parasites and they don't want to stop sucking our blood or controlling us, they have to have ever more meetings about, well, how do we roll this back properly? They can't just say it's over, right? Right. So, 
Um, I don't like, like it's, it's happening. So Saskatchewan's basically done. Alberta's sort of done. And a bunch of the provincial level bureaucrats are having meetings saying, well, we're going to end it and soon. And we have to figure out how, so like the dominoes are falling at a provincial level, but Turdo here is still holding us up federally. So what does he have control over federally that the provinces won't? So this border crossing deal, what else can he still enforce if every province says, fuck you, we're done with this? So what he can still do, so yeah, the uh, feds are in charge of uh, CBSA, Canada Border Services, and um, PHAC, the Public Health Agency of Canada, who are the bureaucrats that have all inserted themselves along the border and all the airports that are doing all the COVID related stuff for people coming into Canada. So basically, you know, we have to get rid of all of them and that's basically up to Trudeau and up to the feds. Um, his, this little bug man fucking asshole transport minister, uh, Omar Algabra or whatever his name is, has basically floated the idea of imposing a, interprovincial vaccine mandate for truckers like he literally announced this as the freedom convoy was rolling as if to just give us the finger to right. say well if you guys do this i i have the power to regulate interprovincial trade and i'm going to make you get a vaccine just to go from one province to the next right sort of like the commerce clause in the u.s where the feds say they can regulate interstate commerce right right so they they have these quote-unquote aces up their sleeves but they're just be, they're they're just being dickheads. They're just they're just flexing muscle, even though the rest of the world is opening up. All these countries are ending their mandates, and Trudeau's still here digging his heels in, and his transportation minister and all of his cabinet members are all going along with it. Yeah. Um obviously the police have been harassing the guys in Ottawa and they moved in on the guys on the Ambassador Bridge today. I've seen or yesterday actually is when they started doing that, I think. But um, I've seen Justin Trudeau tweeting out that, you know, all options are on the table. And it would seem if all options are on the table, lifting the mandates would be the most obvious one because then everyone goes home. Because I, I've seen <laughs> the most laughable, idiotic takes about how to get these truckers out of here. They're saying, like, go confiscate their fuel, blow their tires, and arrest the oh, drivers. Oh, yeah, that and was then... that. Yeah, there was that tweet <laughs> that came out a couple days ago. Yeah. Uh, some. Some woman who's uh, a Harvard professor and a uh, uh, an international security expert. So she's like, you know, she's part of the cathedral. She's part of the deep state. And she comes out and says, slash their tires and take, take their fuel. Well, that's exactly how we get trucks rolling, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I'm ready for Christ. those videos of people trying to slash tires. I mean, it's not the same. as I mean, doing it on a car is already scary enough. I'd like to see you try it on um on a semi tire yeah, just well, make sure most, you're wearing a helmet most, most most big truck tires are like at 100 or 110 psi have fun with that darling yeah take your head off jesus yeah. um so what's going on on the ambassador bridge right now I, I i also learned recently i didn't know this actually until yesterday i think but that's not a government-owned bridge is that yeah it's a so, privately owned bridge yeah the, like this uh, you're gonna you're gonna love this so this is where this is where sort of libertarian theory meets uh, the road, reality. Literally, it meets Liter the road. Literally, it's literally yeah. <laughs> so the Ambassador Bridge is privately owned by this guy in Michigan named Maddie Maroon, who's like a Romanian immigrant. He owns some trucking company, 
And this guy's a mixed bag. So since I've been on the road for 25 years now, that guy has owned the bridge. And the Ambassador Bridge has been a problem for the city of Windsor for a long time. So when you were coming down through Ontario, the main highway is called Highway 401. The 401 ends on the southern ex, uh, outskirts of Windsor. And then you go through a six-lane wide city street, three, three lanes in each direction. And I can't remember how many traffic lights it is, how many intersections. It's something like 30 or 40 traffic lights across several miles to get from 401 to the bridge. Because the bridge was built 100 years ago, man. It's old. It's really right. old. And there's been so many attempts to build an alternative to it, right? So there's the bridge and there's the tunnel. Big trucks can't go through the tunnel. Some big trucks can. I used to all the time, actually. As long as your trailer is not 13 foot 2 inches high and you can bend around. So on the, on the Detroit end of the Windsor Tunnel, there's a 180-degree button hook corner to come around and then get back out of the tunnel and go up to U.S. Customs. So you can go around it if you have one of those, like, Michigan trailers with all the lift axles and you can pull up the lifts at either end and the trailer pivots in the middle. Or if you're pulling a set of trains or if you have like a shorter trailer, like a 40 or 45 footer with the wheels slid all the way forward, you can get around the corner. But right. if you've got a regular 48 foot trailer or a 53 footer and it's over 13 foot, two inches, you ain't getting in. Right. So anyway, there's only these two ways to get from Windsor to Detroit. So for many, many years, there's been multiple studies, multiple proposals to build an alternative. And this Maddie Marone guy keeps blocking them. He's well known for like being balls deep in Michigan politics, buying whoever politician is in charge, donating to them and saying anything the Canadians try to do, anything the feds try and do, we're not having an alternative. This is my bridge and everybody's going to use it because it's, it's rent seeking, right? Right. And, and it's been a problem for 25 years, if not longer, of this guy owning the bridge. Now, again, you know, libertarian theory, okay, great, it's fine. It's that guy's private property. Interesting how it's an international border crossing, but, like, in theory, that's fine. But the guy is a corporatist. He's using the Michigan state government to basically prevent any competition and has done that the entire time he's on the bridge. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah. So what, what, it's, what's it's, his position on what's going on? Well, with the so, blockade there. So he, I, I, there, there's been some stuff attributed to him that I can't confirm he actually said, but okay. like, <clears throat> I, I, I believe it's his position personally that the mandates should end, right? Someone started a rumor the other day that he was going to close the ambassador bridge himself, which I, <laughs> I don't think he's capable of doing based on whatever contract he has with the feds and as the operator of the bridge. Right. So I don't think that's possible, but it seems from some things I've heard, he's on our side of this, like let's end the mandates. But like, I, I don't think he can actually really do anything to uh, uh, influence uh, other than trying to influence the discussion. I don't think he has any power either way. Gotcha. So what has happened at the Ambassador Bridge? I know the cops moved in, but I haven't heard anything about trucks being moved out. Or has anyone been arrested? Has uh, apparently, been... there has been some arrests today. So what happened? Um, the Premier of Ontario issued this uh, declaration of emergency, state of emergency order, which grants the police all these extra powers to do stuff. 
And yesterday, a whole pile of cops and some Canadian military people basically showed up and tried to move. So a lot of the protesters that are blocking the bridge are not actually on the bridge. Mm-hmm. A bunch of them. So like I was saying, there's that six lane city street that goes for like 30 or 40 blocks and all these traffic lights through Windsor. A bunch of people had just parked their vehicles and blocked two lanes. So like only one lane was getting through and they blocked all the traffic. And so I think the cops came to clear all those people out. And I think yesterday there was um, some uh, photographs and video footage of a whole bunch of Canadian Armed Forces veterans in uniform showed up to defend the protesters and stand in between the protesters and the police. And it came to a little bit of a standstill standoff and nothing happened. But then this morning, um, I think the cops got a little bit more um, forceful. And from what I understand, a small number of arrests were made, a small number of vehicles were towed, and then everybody else just kind of left. Because, you know, I mean, you know, we have to take Doug Ford at his word. He basically said, you know, if if I have to tow your vehicle and I have to arrest you, $100,000 fine and up to however many years in jail, like he let's take the let's take the man's threat at their word so some people decided all right well it's not worth it and they got out of the way mm-hmm. so um <clears throat> what was i gonna ask i had a good question there um yeah that, that was it so i mean this has been something that has never been tried before and trucks are <laughs> you know very hard to move i mean i've always thought it's funny when i'm hauling a big oversized excavator um you know, when I leave it somewhere and I'm worried a little bit, like, ah, I don't know if I'm supposed to park here. It's always been, well, I mean, what are they going to do? Are they really going to move to, it? Yeah. Exactly. Are they really going to try to tow a friggin' 11 axle, 200,000 pound truck down the road? Yeah. Um, so, like, if there's non compliance, it doesn't really seem there's that much they can do about it. I mean, I know some of these trucks are boom trucks, not so much on the bridge, but in, Ottawa, they've got crane trucks with the outriggers on the ground and the booms up in the air and stuff. So it doesn't seem like unless they can finally convince the truckers to leave that they're going to be able to get them out of there. No, the 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 the, the good thing about the situation in Ottawa is that um oh, pardon me. No problem. Yeah, um the good thing about the situation in Ottawa is that um the, the city of Ottawa and Trudeau are basically powerless, right? Um, it's been ruled that the city of Ottawa tried to get an injunction against the protesters, and that got knocked down in court because they have a right to be there in protest. The city of Ottawa contacted all these tow truck companies to try and say, hey, come and hook onto these guys and get rid of them. And the tow truck companies basically said, well, all our drivers have COVID and we're not available, which is another way of just giving the city of Ottawa the finger because the tow truck guys are on our side. So there there is not a tow truck company in Canada who is going to do, who's going to work with the city of Ottawa, right? They're, they're with us. Most of the cop, most of the cops in the city of Ottawa are with us. The leadership of the police force are with the city of Ottawa, but the beat cops have been nothing but friendly and have been like really lackluster in the performance of their supposed duties right because mm-hmm. you know the 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 thing that like these leftoid idiots in the media in Canada don't understand is class solidarity anymore right they are which is so, so ironic <laughs> yeah yeah very so yeah. like they don't understand that the same class of people that draws to the military draws to the cops draws to truckers are the same sort of like you know 
economic and demographic class. Sure. And like none of us like any of these people. You know, we don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be told by fucking pinheads at the CBC that we're racist because we don't want to take a shot that we don't want. Right. right. Most cops feel like us. Most members of the military feel like us. Speaking of the military, some moron in the city of Ottawa floated the idea the other week. Oh, well, you know, we're considering having the military come and deal with this. The very next day, a spokesperson for the Canadian Armed Forces flatly said, no, we're not getting involved. It's not our jurisdiction. We're not dealing with this. This is your guy's problem. That so reminds like, me of uh, Governor Northam in Virginia after all those gun control measures were passed. He ba- And then all the counties basically said, fuck you, we're Second Amendment sanctuary counties now. And he said, if I need to, I'll deploy, or one of his spokesmen or something said, if I need to, we'll deploy the National Guard. And the National Guard is like, ah, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so the same idea. No, yeah. it's like the, 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 this is the problem with the managerial class is they just think like we're, we're just all interchangeable fucking robots that are ready, willing, and able to do what we're told. Like they've just completely forgotten the human element. They've completely forgotten like any idea of like solidarity or unity among people. They just think like, well, we tell you what to do. We told you what you're supposed to listen to in the media and you're just going to do it. It's like, no, (laughs) no, we're not actually. And now they're all standing around with their dicks in their hands, looking real foolish because they're literally powerless to do anything about the people in Ottawa. So all they do is scream and cry about the honking and we're terrorists. And these people are laying siege to their city. Meanwhile, what are the truckers doing? They set up a community kitchen because they're getting so many food donations. They've got more food than they know what to do with. So they've got this community kitchen. Techno ravers have come to Ottawa every weekend and thrown parties in the streets. Like I used to go to a lot of Psytrance parties back in the day. And the guy who organizes the biggest Psytrance party in Canada like came down to Ottawa and played for six hours last weekend. There's, it, it's a festive atmosphere. Every weekend there's just zillions of people in Ottawa supporting us. And the media, they don't know what to do, man. They're just short-circuiting, so they're just resorting to the broken record, like, NPC script. Racists, homophobes, anti-Semites. Racists, homophobes, anti-Semites. They cannot wrap their heads around the fact that we, the, the vast majority of Canadians, don't believe them, are not on their side, and are have more solidarity amongst the working class than these fucking email job bugs trying to tell us all what to do. Yeah, 100%, man. Uh, so what type of supply chain crises are you running into? I know the Ford plant shut down. I know that other uh, sectors are kind of crumbling. So what's what's going on up there? So we're seeing what happened in the wake of September 11th. I'm, I'm, you're a bit younger than me, so I don't know how much you were paying attention back then. Not so at all, September, but when, yeah. Yeah, so when, <laughs> September, when September 11th happened, I was 22 and I was trucking. Yeah, I was in. I was in. I was actually in Alabama when it happened, but that's kind of irrelevant. But anyway, the U.S. Customs literally shut the border down, and they just said nobody's getting in. Or if they did, they would literally take one truck and spend six hours tearing it apart before they would let them into the U.S. And right. very, very quickly, all the border crossings coming from Canada into the U.S. turned into parking lots. And I remember, I on September twelfth. I came back to Canada. It took me three hours to get off Interstate 190 through Buffalo and onto the Peace Bridge. And then when I cleared Canada Customs and I was driving back up the Queen Elizabeth Highway back towards Toronto, 
the line of trucks was at least 16 kilometers long, so like 10 miles. And there's a uh, there's like a horse racing track with a huge parking lot that the government commandeered to like start parking trucks in because like the flow of trucks coming into the United States and back into Canada is so massive. Our economies are so intertwined. And, you know, the just-in-time delivery model, the, um, the, the way distribution is all and supply chains are all set up, like it depends on those borders being open. And after September 11th, that system got shocked, right? And within hours of September 11th, factories in Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, all over the Midwest that were involved in the automotive sector, steel, making parts, they all started running out of steel. They started running out of parts. They started running out of everything. And by September 13th, 14th, there was literally tens of thousands of people all across the United States laid off because those factories could not get the parts from Canada. And so what you're seeing is the same thing has happened here because of the delays at the Ambassador Bridge and the delays at the Blue Water Bridge. So it's sort of a repeat. And like supply chains were already pretty brittle sure. um, because of COVID. And, you know, the supposed truck driver shortage, which is a retention problem and a whole nother kettle of fish. But like the, the whole system was already under strain. And then this Freedom Convoy protest just put it into overdrive. And like you're saying, Ford's shut down, Toyota's shut down, all these all across all kinds of industries. All these people are having problems. And do you understand the accordion effect? So like something happens here yep. and it backs up and then it takes a little while for it to extend the other way. So you're going to see that now where all these problems that have taken place in the last two weeks are going to take another two weeks of the bridges being open and traffic moving again to get back to the normality they were at before, which was already under stress and not completely working properly anyways. Yeah. Um. So are you worried as people start to get desperate that they're not going to support the truckers as much anymore? Or do you think people are pretty stalwart in their support behind what's going on? Or do you think like the majority of the people in support are very hardcore? Do you think there are some fair weather people who have been excited and you'll start seeing them peel off as the government continues to refuse to relent and the shelves start drying up? Like what, what do you, what's your, what's your, uh, What's your outlook on the protest going forward? If, if, if Trudeau like doesn't let up and then things do start getting ugly, what do you think will happen? Well, I, I'm, of a, I'm of a couple of minds about this. Um, on the one hand, you know, uh, Ford's cleared the bridges off and all that's going to get moving again. And Ford said, you know, we've heard you. Please go home. Whatever it's. Doug I love Ford. that we've heard you, but we're not going to do anything. So please go home. <laughs> yeah, D Dougie Ford. So I, I made this like joke on Twitter before they delete, deleted me about how his brother Rob is looking down from heaven, very very disappointed in in his brother Doug's handling of this, and that if um, if Rob Ford was still alive, he would be down on the Ambassador Bridge supporting our boys, and then he would sneak over to the Detroit side and get one of Joe Biden's free crack pipes. <laughs> so, um, that might be why you're gone right there yeah too, too <laughs> but um no so it, it, i there's a hardcore component so one of my friends is this guy from alberta named tim his truck's parked on wellington street by parliament and he's one of the hardcore guys he's he's prepared to go to the wall he's not leaving until the mandates are over 
a bunch of the people in Ottawa uh, are basically they're hardcore. So there's something about um, the you know Canadian trucker, Canadian farmer, mine worker, bush worker mentality, and intestinal fortitude that comes from working winter in, winter out, year after year, 30, 40 below outside. You know, you're running a skitter, you're doing logging, you're working at an oil field extraction camp, you're out in the elements in the cold, you're sleeping in a truck out in the elements in the cold. In the winter, a lot of stuff happens in northern Canada because the ground is frozen. And like if you understand Canadian geography, most of shield country, like all the bush that's spread all across northern Canada is muskeg. It's like swamps and rocky ground and everything in between the rocks is just mush. So it's very difficult to do anything out there in like resource extraction. So you can work really hard in the summer when everything's dry and you can work really hard in the winter when everything's frozen. So the people involved in the freedom convoy are the type of people who are used to going to work in November and working till April for like five, six months straight without a break and the worst conditions on fucking planet earth. <laughs> so if the government thinks these people are going to give up, they have another thing coming. I right? love it, man. So I, I, I am fully, fully, in, uh, it's my position that anybody involved in the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa ain't going anywhere. Um, as for public support, I mean, most people have supported us from the beginning, and I don't think their support will waver. You know, who knows? The media might try and, like, the government responds to polling, which is stupid. You're supposed to respond to your citizens. So the polling might change. I don't know. I can't guess that. But I would venture to say that, like, given how much leverage that the government knows we have and how much support that we do have legitimately in reality outside of polling world, like, I, I, don't, see, uh, I don't see that slipping away. I don't see the support going away. Yeah, well, I think you guys have done an amazing job up there, man. Um, I, I, like I said, I've just been impressed with how peaceful it's been. Um, I saw a, a video on uh, Clint from Liberty Lockdown's channel where he was talking with a guy who was keeping one lane of traffic open in all of Ottawa so emergency vehicles could yeah, get in no, and out the, and the, all the, that the, stuff. There's, there's, there's a lot of discipline with the guys in Ottawa, you know, like Doug Ford says it's under siege and all these whiners in Ottawa, oh, they've taken over our city nobody has done anything violent. Nobody wants to They're on every street that trucks are parked. There's lanes open for emergency vehicles and traffic to get through. Like if you need to get to work in downtown Ottawa, you can get to work. There's right. no reason for anything to be closed. People literally close their businesses out of fear. And in the two weeks since the convoy has been in town, a bunch of them have reopened. I mean, the Rideau Center, I don't know if the Rideau Center has or not. That's this mall in downtown Ottawa. I, I should find that out. But, like, you know, there's all kinds of offices and whatnot that's, like, business as usual. Parliament's in session. The center of all this is Parliament Hill. The politicians right. are going to work. All of their offices are open. All of their offices are right around the trucks. So all the politicians, all the bureaucrats, all the people that work for the government that have offices are going to them. They're not closed. Nobody's, like, standing outside saying, ha ha, I'm a truck driver with a baseball bat, you can't go to work. We're just hanging out in our trucks, blasting air horns, hanging out, talking to people coming by, cooking food, doing whatever. There's no, there's no reason for anybody to not have their business open or go to work. 
Because we're right. not interfering with that. We're just hanging out. Like, it's literally like a static, peaceful protest. Yeah, the last thing I want to ask you is um, there's rumblings about a convoy happening in the United States. I'm in a Telegram group where we're talking about it. And from what I'm seeing, it's very unorganized. It doesn't seem like anyone really knows what's going on. Um, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I'm really worried uh, just because... Americans have not been as disciplined as you guys with protesting. I mean, with Black Lives, with the Black Lives Matter um, riots, a lot of that was spurred on by strange forces. There were pallets of bricks left all over the streets. And uh, there was, you know, it seemed like there were intentional uh, traps set that a lot of people fell for. Uh, same with January 6th. I think there was certainly some federal uh, provocateurs there, but still the people fell for it and they let um you know they, they they went into the trap and they got fucked and they don't end up you know we, we have no uh massive reform to police brutality and there's been no massive reform to election fraud or anything like that you've just had uh you know weaponization against the cause from both sides like people hate black lives matter now and they you know now the media is painting right-wingers as evil terrorists or whatever and so what um you know with the way canada's done it it's been very obvious this is exactly what we want we're bringing this to you at the capitol end this and we'll go home they haven't been just blocking you know regular people from going to work like you said you can go to work in ottawa if you have to it's been very uh very tame and very well put together so what is your advice to american truckers if something like that is going to happen in the United States, we got a different country. Um, you know, most states are actually open for business, where as opposed to Canada, where everything's been locked down. How do you want people in the United States to approach this so that they can have success? Yeah, the, uh, far be it for me to comment on anything happening here in the states. I mean, I do live here and I pay attention to American politics, but again, as you point out, there's a different set of circumstances. And a lot of states in the U.S. have been a lot better than others. And a lot of states in the U.S., nothing ever really changed uh, for cultural reasons, political reasons. You know, Americans don't take shit. Unfortunately, um, again, I'll reference the, like, uh, brain damage the average Canadian has ensued from decades of being subject to the CBC and regime media. We're rule followers uh, very much more interested in the collective, you know, crabs in the bucket. If anyone thinks they're better than anybody else, we pull them down. And that, that certain mentality, unfortunately, has led to all these infringements on our liberty as Canadians, which are being fought back. Um, but you guys don't have those same problems. So right. I, I wouldn't venture to try and like comment on that, except to say it would be advantageous for the analogous convoy that's going to DC um, across the United States to have a very tight message, have very tight goals and, you know, um, highlight unity. I mean, one of the things that the Canadian convoy has done has been like, you know, we're Canadians and we're united in wanting our freedoms back and wanting the COVID regime to be over and wanting to end the mandates, right? So this this sort of idea of being unified against what Trudeau and the province and some provinces have done to us. So uh, yeah, just try and be as unified 
and as narrowly focused as possible. And, you know, um, police, I don't mean to say like, you know, Overton window policing or trying to tell people what to think or what to say, but, you know, movements that are big tents typically get lots of fringe wackos and stuff that show up or people that have like other axes to grind. And, you know, there's probably maybe been a little of that with the Canadian one. I don't, I, I can't speak to that, but like the overwhelming message, unity and the mandates. So I would offer the same thing to my friends here in the United States. All right, man. Well, thank you for your time. We'll have to get you back on and bullshit about trucking, hopefully in a less stressful time when hopefully all this shit is over. Oh, Um, yeah. No, dude, my life is just in like, you know, and whatever. I'm not looking for sympathy here. You know, I stepped into the breach because I wanted to defend my fellow truckers. I've written a couple articles. I got invited to be on Fox News. They tracked me down because I guess Laura Ingraham saw my thing in Newsweek and said, hey, can you come on my show and speak for four minutes? Well, I went on her show. I got kicked off Twitter. This morning, one of my oldest friends sent me this text message saying, I don't know who the fuck you are anymore. Don't ever talk to me again without considering any of my arguments or anything about what's happened with the Freedom Convoy. My crime was going on Fox News. So, like, you know, there's a cost to standing up for what's right. And there's a cost in a society that's been bifurcated by years of a bipolar media then mixed in with, like, all of the psychological warfare with COVID. And you're right. It would be better to have a bullshit session when all this stress is gone. But... Man, is it going to go away anytime soon? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Hey, man, since you're kicked off of Twitter and everything, where can people keep up with what you're writing? Is there any central Uh, source we can use? No, a friend of mine suggested I start a WordPress or uh, what's the the place that everybody blogs at nowadays? Oh, uh, um, Substack. Substack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I might look into that, but like you know, I've also got a young family, and I'm busy. Work. I've got my own job. I, I don't know. Like the writing stuff has sort of taken off only because of the Freedom Convoy thing. So I, I, I don't have an alternative. I'm on Getter. I started a Getter account. So uh, at Gordy Locks on Getter, um, you can find me there. Um, I've done your friend Tommy Salmon's show a few times. So if you go on Libertarian Institute, go to their podcast, Find Year Zero. I've been on there a few times. There's a show called What's Left. I've been on twice. Um, these guys and these comment, these Marxist guys in Canada called Red Star Radio had me on, which is very interesting. I've actually been on two leftist podcasts this week, like intellectually honest lefties that right. are concerned about the working class. I've had a very I've had a very fruitful discussion with them. So those people are out there. The left is not a hegemon. There are good, decent, honest lefties out there. They're around. For sure. Um, so I don't know, just punch my name into whatever search engine podcasts and my written articles. I just published something in the American Conservative talking about how truck drivers are basically overregulated. Um I'll have another piece coming out in Newsweek, hopefully this week, uh, again about the convoy and the sort of you know, um, issues with like unions and labor representation with that. Um, hopefully this week or next week, um, there's a website called I am 1776. I'm working on a piece for, so just punch my name, Gordon McGill, G O R D M A G I L L. And you'll find me. All right, man. Well, thank you for joining me. Like I said, we'll do it again. Uh, 
hopefully in happier times. But if not, I'll have you back in again to talk about how crazy everything is still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let, let's hope Trudeau sees the light and actually works for the country he's supposed to represent. And let's hope next time we talk, we can have a dick measuring contest about oversized loads. Ver- <laughs> I don't know, man. I've seen some videos of those uh, trains in Australia, so I think you might have me beat, but uh, we'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Well, Thank you so much for having me on, brother. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, man. Everyone who's watching, um, if you're not subscribed to the channel already, please do so. I'm on vacation this week. I won't be streaming again unless something crazy happens, which is very possible. Um, but I don't have any other streams planned. I will be going on Chrissy Mayer's show on Wednesday, and I think I'm going on Bite the Bullet podcast on Friday night. Uh, so stay tuned for all that. But until then, I'll see you guys maybe this weekend or next week. And thanks again, Gordon. All right. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. Cheers. <laughs>